weeks, we've had uh, an opportunity to walk through the words of Jesus that he speaks in Matthew chapter 5. The Beatitudes is what they're known as. Jesus pronounces blessings on certain groups of people. We've talked about how God blesses the poor in spirit. Those who are at the end of their rope. Uh, because with less of us, there's more of God and an opportunity for his reign. We've talked about blessed are those who mourn. We actually acknowledge the pain in their lives because there's comfort that comes to those. We've talked about God blessing the meek and that they inherit the earth, which is so counterintuitive to our lives because we know the powerful reign in our world. But in the world to come, we trust God's words about the meek reigning. Well, today we're going to take a look at the next of those. And so if you have your Bibles, feel free to open with me to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Let's pray together as we open this time in the Word. God, we, we thank you so much for this time of worship we've had to remind ourselves of the world as you see it, to remind ourselves and, and reframe our, our vision, God, to see the world as you see it, right side up. God, our world looks nothing like these statements of Jesus. It becomes very hard to trust these words unless we are reformed in our vision, unless you encourage us and and you you work through us to see the truth of these statements. And so today, God, would you affirm these truths in our lives? Would we plant them deep down? And would we pronounce blessing on those who, like us, hunger and thirst for your righteousness? This morning, God, I pray you'd pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. It's the name of Jesus that we pray. And everyone who agreed said, Amen. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. It's getting close to lunchtime, isn't it? You know what it is to hunger and thirst. God's given us bodies that actually let us know when it is we need to fill ourselves with more food, to know when we need to fill ourselves with more drink. It's a gift, these hunger pains that God offers to us. And thankfully, few of us have known the situation of being hungry and being thirsty and not being able to fill our bellies with food and drink. But we know this is a reality in so many parts of our world. Our problem isn't so much a a, a society of scarcity, of not being enough. It's a society of abundance. And so for us, it's not so much hunger. It's the cravings that become the deeper issue, right? Um. And I want to define those two things because I think it's really important to see this distinction between what Jesus is talking about and sometimes what we hear. You see, hunger is the feeling we have when we need food to function well in our bodies. But a craving is a feeling we have when we want or desire certain kinds of foods. How many of you know what I'm talking about? State Fair of Texas time, right? I know what it is to crave and desire. Some of you have had a craving this week, probably, you could probably say, right? Some of you have given in to a craving this week that you've had. And some of you right now are already planning lunch. In fact, I'm feeling hungry right now, much more than first service, because this is how our bodies work. We have a desire for things, but also cravings for things. But the problem comes when our desires compete with one another. And you know what this is like, right? To have this desire for one thing, to have a desire for another thing, and that battle that rages between the desires that are given to us. The desire to lose weight on the one hand, but the desire to finish off the bluebell ice cream on the other. The desire to remain pure in some way, but the desire also in our lives that is impure to to, to somehow dirty our lives, not 
follow God's commands as well as we can. Um, We have desires that wage war within us. So this morning I want to ask you that question. What is it that you desire? What is your greatest craving in life? What are you hungry and thirsty for? It's not just a 21st century reality cravings. This has been around for a long time now. In fact, in Scripture it talks about this craving, this war between our desires that happens. The Apostle Paul writes in the book of Romans about this whole concept, his personal struggle that he acknowledges. If you have your Bibles, open with me to Romans chapter 7. Romans 7. I want to read beginning in verse 21 about Paul's internal struggle that he describes. Maybe you find yourself in these words. Again, Romans 7 verse 21. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Paul describes this war. And how many of you know what that's like? To desire one thing that's a righteous thing, perhaps, but then to have the desires of this world that compete with those desires and the struggle. Sometimes we, we give in and we say yes to the, to, to the desires that are not our, to our health. Sometimes we choose the right desire. But it's not just Paul who speaks about this. People have been talking about this war within us for, 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 for generations. In fact, Aristotle put it this way. He said, it's the nature of man not to be satisfied. And most men live only for the gratification of it. And if you're not familiar as much with Aristotle, maybe it's the Rolling Stones for you, right? I can't get no satisfaction. And Bono, Bono put it this way in one of his songs, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. All of these are statements to me that are trying to say the same thing. We have these desires and yet we're we're seeking fulfillment and we don't seem to find fulfillment in this life in the ways we really hope we will. And I believe all of us, we're we're hardwired to be insatiable wanting creatures, machines in a way. And culture doesn't do us any favors here, right? Because so many businesses have made their billions off this war within our bodies. They know how to, to, to pitch that, that, that message that they have in order for us to buy in and, and, and feed that craving, that instant gratification. I mean, look around you at, at how advertising works, right? It's not usually the product itself. It's something else that draws us to it, whether it's a promise of certain kind of life or a a joy in the moment in some way, from commercials to billboards to even how supermarkets are designed, right? They never put the staples of milk at the front of the store so you can grab. No, you have to go all the way to the back of the store, and likely your craving meter is going to go up at some point as you're making your way to the milk, especially if your kids are with you, right? They know how to, they know how to do that. So, so then you, you, you bring all these other things, your cravings are you know, desiring, and then you get to that line where you've got to wait, and what's in front of you? Of course, the chocolate, the candy bars, the gossip magazines. Uh, all of these things as we're waiting as a reminder of we're, we're, we're impulse buyers, and people know how to market to us in that way. We know we have these desires that wage war within us, and the Bible is very interested in that feeling that we all have. In fact, there's an entire book of the Bible that's written It's really about this whole topic. It's the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is written by King David's son. He's named Solomon. And Solomon uh, goes on this pursuit of trying to fulfill himself through all kinds of different routes. He tries to pursue it through work and through money and through pleasure. And 
He does all these things, and in the end, he has something to say. I'd encourage you to read all of this book later this week, but I want to just give you a teaser this morning about this war within him. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, beginning in verse 10. This is what he, how he sums it up. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. In other words, he still didn't find what he was looking for. Now, if you can identify with Aristotle or Solomon or Bono or any of these statements, then you can really hear again in a different way the words that Jesus spoke in Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, Jesus isn't promised to the hungry or thirsty alone. It's a kind of, a specific kind of hunger and thirst. It's specified here. It's a hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now, this word righteousness needs some explanation. First of all, Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the righteous, does he? It's not a condition we finally get to and we're approved and blessed. What Jesus says is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are on a path, who desire and hunger and thirst for these things. It's not some kind of thing we arrive at. It's we're on a journey and a pursuit of the righteous life of God. Jesus doesn't seem to be announcing his blessing on those who've received some kind of level of moral perfection. No, no, no. It's those who are seeking, who are moving in a direction, whose lives are pointed towards righteousness. Now, if I were to ask you this morning, what are your five greatest desires in your life? What are the five things you hunger or thirst most for? I I bet you could give me a list of those this morning. And and my curiosity is, where does righteousness stand on that list? Is it in your top five? Or there are other things that tend to crowd that out because of the war that wages within our bodies. Jesus is not pronouncing his blessing on people who've achieved righteousness. He's pronouncing those who are saying, this is the driving pursuit of my life. This is where I I think in some way my life will find its meaning. So what is righteousness? Let's talk about that for a moment. The Bible talks about righteousness in several ways. This this word can be translated different ways. And one of the ways it talks about it is in terms of right conduct or right behavior. So a righteous person is the one who who stays on the right path, who does the right thing. A righteous person is the one who pursues the path of God. And so it's about behavior. It's an individual pursuit in in that definition of it in some ways. Someone who does the right thing. The second way the Bible talks about righteousness is as a right relationship. This is more of a legal term, actually, in Scripture. The righteous one is the one who's not become righteous on their own, but has received the righteousness of God, and they, they stand now in a right relationship with God. They're, they're justified in some way, and so they no longer fear if they're in the wrong place. It's the blood of Jesus that's covered them, and now they're righteous, not through their own efforts. The conduct hopefully comes along, but this is about being in right relationship with God. That's a, that's a righteous person as well. But there's a third way that's talked about, and, and the first two are really more individual, you can tell, right? Right behavior, right relationship. We tend to think about that in kind of a vertical way uh, often. So the third of these is really more of a communal understanding of righteousness. And that third way is to understand righteousness as justice. Justice. Now that term justice probably is 
not used in the translation because it throws us off in American culture. When, when I think of justice, I think about a, a gavel, and I think about a bench, and I think about a judge, and I think about attorneys. I think about a legal scene in many ways just like this. It's more about punitive justice, making sure that justice is served to those who do wrong. But the Scripture has a bigger picture of what righteousness is in the terms of justice. Justice is feeding the hungry. Justice is caring for the needy. Justice is freeing those in bondage. Those are examples of justice. And so what that kind of justice is, is taking a wrong situation and trying to make it right, which comes to that whole idea of righteousness, right? Righting wrongs, making sure those who don't have enough or who've been a part of injustice or been wronged in some way receive something that's right. That's a restorative justice. That's different than punitive justice. So when Jesus is talking about the term righteousness, he's drawing on the Old Testament ideas where these are almost parallel terms. There's a righteousness of conduct. There's a righteousness of relationship. There's also this righteousness that is justice of doing things right in the world, of stepping up and speaking up for those who don't have a voice. With that background, listen again to what Jesus is saying. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Or another way to say it, blessed are those who hunger and to do what is right. Blessed are those who, who desire to be in a right relationship with God. Blessed are those who crave to make the world a more just place. So are these kind of the kinds of things that are in that top five list for you? Are these the driving impulses of your life? Here's what I'm finding is true in my relationship with God is I'm discovering that God is much less the picture I had growing up than what I thought he was. I, I remember thinking of him as this stern judge up in the heavens with his long white beard and, 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 and he just seemed kind of stern and unmoved, more like Zeus than anyone else, honestly, if, if I think back. But God is not a coercive God. This is what love requires. Love requires a, a, a choice for people to decide, are they going to choose to be in right relationship or not. This is true in our marriages, right? It takes two to be a part of this relationship. And part of love is a risk because that risk demands that the other one may not return what you're willing to give. So love is never a coercive act. Love is an act that allows the other to be free and choose freely to pursue the relationship as well. God does this, right? Love means allowing us the freedom to choose. So when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, God is happy to fill us. That's the promise of Matthew 5, 6. But if our greatest hunger, our greatest desires, our greatest cravings are elsewhere, somewhere other than God, God's happy to let us pursue that as well. God gives us the desires of our hearts when they're Him, but often when they're other things as well. And that's not always a good thing for us, is it? I want to point to several scriptures that talk about this idea of God handing us the things we desire, some good, some not so good. One of those comes from the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 80, uh, Psalm 81. The Psalm is, is God's statement to Israel about them leaving bondage and, and the decisions they've made to kind of pursue and desire other things than, than, than God himself. And so they've been freed from Egypt. Listen to what Psalm 81 says, reflecting back on that time. Verse 9, you shall have no foreign God among you. You shall not worship any other God than me. I'm the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. But my people would not listen to me. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over, listen to that language, I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own devices. 
Israel worships other gods. They pursue other routes. Their desires are not, and cravings and hunger is not for God himself. It's for the, the gods of the other nations. And it doesn't turn out well for them. But God doesn't hold them back. He doesn't coerce them back into relationship. He allows them. He, he hands them over. He gives them over, Scripture says. He gives them the desires of their hearts. See, one of the worst things God can do, it, do for us is to give us what we crave most. It happens again later on in Scripture. In the book of Romans, Paul's writing to the church at Rome, and, and he talks about this whole idea of what God gives us. He gives us what we desire most. Romans 1, uh, verse 21, I'd like to start reading. That's what Paul writes. He says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as, uh, as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish heart, hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Sounds like Israel, doesn't it, right? Therefore, what does God do? God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. God gave them over. God gave them what they wanted. See, whatever you learn to crave, is going to set the course for your life in ways you may not even imagine when you first start on the road of pursuit. And often, what we find out in Scripture is you'll get what you crave. You'll get what you desire. You're, the longing of your heart is something you'll pursue, and you may even find it. It may just cause more destruction than you ever imagined when you pursued it for the first time. But if you, if you crave pleasure through sex, my guess is you'll find ways to discover that. You'll find ways to walk through that. You'll find ways to, to pursue it. You might even find it, but it might just lead to your destruction in ways you never imagined when you first stepped down the road. The same is true of all kinds of addictions, really, isn't it? I mean, if you crave alcohol outside of God's boundaries, my guess is you'll find ways to feed that craving. But when will you know you've had enough? When, when, when does the road of destruction stop and you finally say, I finally feel fulfilled. I, I finally am full on this. Or maybe it's, maybe it's money that you think. Maybe money's the route. If I can just get enough money, the problem is when do you ever have enough money? The line just keeps moving as you rise up the ladder. God may give you the very thing you desire most. The problem is it will never fill you in the same way that righteousness will. Solomon denied himself nothing his eyes saw. And in the end, he says, everything was meaningless. See, the worst thing possible in our lives isn't to fail. The worst thing possible in our lives is to succeed at all the things that don't matter. At all the things that won't fill us in the end. It's a life's pursuit all in one direction that never fills us up. There's never enough of it. Because here's the truth. You'll find what you're looking for. If you look for reasons to be grateful, you'll be amazed at the number of things that you can have gratitude about. All kinds of gifts that you never saw until you pointed your eyes in that direction and started to name the gifts in your life. If, if you're looking, if you want to be cynical, you'll find all kinds of reasons to be cynical. Because what you set your eyes on, what you look for, you will find. If you look for excuses, oh, there are plenty of excuses, aren't there? All kinds of excuses that you can give for why it didn't pan out. And if you look for reasons to be hopeful, Oh, you'll find so many reasons for hope as well. What we see in the world says much more about us than it does about the world. It's what we set our eyes toward. You will find what you look for. 
which means what we crave, what we hunger for, what we thirst for, what our desires are set on will determine the route of our lives in so many ways we never even see when we set out that hunger in the first place. And the world encourages us to hunger and thirst for many things. But I'm learning again to trust the words of Jesus. Matthew 5, verse 6, once again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So let me ask you this morning, how hungry are you for God right now? Do you, do you thirst and long for, for righteousness to be how people would describe you, for what that route means? And when you think about the cravings and desires, what you set your heart on, I'm telling you, it sets your life path in ways you never know when you start down the path. There's so much that would be changed in our lives if we set our hearts, if we set our cravings, if we desired God more. And i got to tell you right now, I, I want to want God in my life. I'm not sure I want Him all the time. I'm not sure He's the top of my list all the time. But I I desire that, and I think the only way to be able to move toward that is to set our hearts, to name those words, sometimes to speak words and say prayers that are not where we're currently at right now. God, would would you help me set my path in this direction? God, would you help me have a hunger for you that I've never felt before? Would you would you leave me thirsty? And would you fill me when I step through these paths? Would you, would you help me to see that the idols of this life and, and those those paths actually leave me empty? Would you leave me with that? that feeling of being empty so that I can be filled up with things that actually do fill us up. Maybe this week, that's your prayer. You're wondering, how do I set my my affections on God? How do I set my hunger and thirst there? What does that look like? There's a prayer I want to leave with you if you're in that place that perhaps would be a help to you this week. It's in the book of Psalms, Psalm 42. It's it's probably a passage you've memorized if you've been in church very long because we sing songs from this very chapter. In this very psalm. Psalm 42, verse 1. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? So today, I leave you with that prayer. I want us to pray that prayer as we leave. And I want to pronounce the same thing Jesus did. Again, I don't know where you are. I don't know how your affections need to be turned. I don't know where your path is leading. But I want to tell you, I believe this path of righteousness, this hunger for righteousness, for justice, for things to be made right, is a path that will fill us in greater ways than any other thing we pursue. I'm trying to discover in my own life, how do I set my life on this course? Our our little ones are learning a a passage right now in children's ministry. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. and He'll direct your paths. And this desire, God, I, I want to I pant for you as a deer pants for streams of living water. Congratulations this morning, church. If right now you, you have a hunger to know more about this God. Congratulations if, if you thirst to be in a right relationship with God. To know and have every confidence of where you will end up eternally to who you've given your life to. And congratulations this morning if you crave for the world to be made more just than it is right now. Because if those are where you set your path, you will be filled. Or in the words of St. Augustine, 
Our hearts are restless until they find their place in Thee. Let's close in prayer this morning. Oh God, You are our God. And earnestly we seek You. We long for You as thirsty people of the desert long for water in a dry and weary land where there, there is no water. We, we desire to hunger and thirst for You more. We say these words, yet we don't know how to walk this path all of us. God, we desire to be in right relationship, to confess that we're not enough on our own and we need Jesus to come and save us every single day from ourselves. And God, right now we have a fire in our bellies as well because we see the injustice in the world. We see the the mistreatment, God, of people who don't have a voice and don't have power. We want to speak up for them as well. We crave for their situation to be made better. That's what righteousness is. God, this morning, would you fill our hearts as we pursue this path? Would we leave today with a hunger, not just for the food our bellies will be filled by with food, but may our, our bellies be hungry still for you, for your word, thirsty for you, and the great gift you give. Thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for the longing and the, and the pain in our lives, because that pain reminds us, God, that we are not yet filled. We've not yet come into your kingdom in its fullness. God, would you pour into us your drink? And would you give us your food, the bread of life? And would you give us your promised spirit, God, so that we might walk with the spirit to make this world more right than it currently is? And we love you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. And we ask for that help in our lives of your spirit right now. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.